And I continue to work on my book, going over the Sanskrit editing. So that's the news. What are the questions? Ah, okay. Tadas, you can go first. Who is it? Oh, Tadas, okay. Actually, it's Tadas. 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 Hare Krishna. Yeah, so um, I have uh, a classmate from my high school uh, who is um, following a path of Advaita. And uh, from time to time we speak with each other and we basically compare philosophies and uh, practices and stuff like that. Before we were like um, very... Um, angry on each other for, for some for some time but now it's peace between us and uh, um, last week he just texted me because he remembered that some time ago i told him that uh, persons who uh, don't have um, initiation they shouldn't chant gayandri mantra and he he asked me to explain why is that because from the sources that he's listening, everyone is telling no matter what you, you have to chant Gayatri Mantra. And uh, well, basically I just tried to explain him, you know, the, the initiation process and uh, where the Gayatri Mantra comes. And uh, his response was ba what uh, basically he said, well, this is way too much rules for for knowing God, something like that. Um, <laughs> and um, and basically, I didn't have what to answer to that. And I just said, well, you know, you should look at this like that. You, you, you are borrowing that Ganji mantra from some philosophy. And oh, he said that when he chants, something is revealing to him and uh, something is opening to him and he just will just keep chanting without any initiations and stuff like that. And I said to him, well, you are chanting that mantra and something is revealing to you according to you, but that what is revealing to you is pushing you away from the original way how it should be done. And you should consider that. So he basically didn't give an answer, but... Uh, what I felt after, I felt that uh, I just wasted energy and uh, better. Well, I, I don't know. I, I wanted to ask you, what is what is your position in, in situations like this when you know from the beginning that uh, the answer will not be heard? So what is better to say it anyway or just keep it to yourself and just encourage person to do whatever he does? And just put your heart in that or something like that just basic answer and uh, the second question would be what actually happens when you know when the mantras are being chanted without having a proper qualification or um or, or basically any sadhana being done without uh, having a qualification what is the risk you know if there are any risk in in, in that so Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I think that um, you need to, as I often say, create or enter into a teachable moment, obviously, to teach somebody. And um, there's an art, then, therefore, in, in preaching or sharing your 
um, insights and so forth, which involves um, just like in, to use a metaphor, uh, gardening, you have to till the soil to put the seed in. If you put the seed in, you know, till the soil, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to grow. So um, unless you create a receptive uh, uh, ear, submissive ear and so forth, then yeah, there's, there's, there's probably not much um, that you can share and you'll end up uh, butting heads and you may cause a person to make, make offenses. So you, there is an art to that and one has to be a little uh, careful. And, um, and so uh, if someone's not ready to listen, then it's probably not a good time to talk. And, and uh, time is a good teacher. So um, the fact is he won't get much out of what he's doing, although he may think he's getting something um, in, in, in the immediate. So it may take 10 or 20 years or five years or a year, see if he's still doing that. Um, um, but um, otherwise, uh, if you, one of the things about Gaudiya Vaishnavism is that it, it, it's a particular tradition, a particular sampradaya and lineage, and one that um, the way, it, the one which in terms of it's being presented in the modern world and shared outside of India, which our party bar has been instrumental in, is it's been done in such a way as to respect and honor a time-tested uh, uh, tradition. Not that uh, everything that was done hundreds of years ago uh, is done, done exactly the same way, but to a large extent, there's been a strong emphasis on, um, well, to use an adage of Prabhupada, as it is, uh, and, uh, and an avoidance, if you will, of the tendency to take an old a, a tradition and then just do with it what you, you see fit in the modern world that, that, that you live in without any uh, cautions, without any guidance. Um, and so the way, as I say, Gaudiya Vaishnavism has been presented and just circulated around the world is one that, um, that cautions against that. Um, and, um, and is much more traditional in, in, in preserving and much more of a, in the spirit of preserving uh, tradition than it is um, uh, changing it, altering it, uh, um, although there's a place for that. And obviously in order to circulate it around the world, that's been done to some extent. Bhakti Vinod took talk or Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati talk where they took some liberties and so forth and they were, um, had more of a universalist than a, than a provincial perspective, but nonetheless, much was uh, of the tradition is uh, when has been preserved. Now, when you come to Advaita Vedanta, there's all kinds of neo-Advaitans out there that don't have gurus that, that have decided that they themselves are, are gurus uh, or who accept gurus who have passed away as, as their own gurus. And, 
um, and uh, involve themselves in and uh, circulate the, uh, the, tr uh, the tradition as they understand it without any, any kind of um, guide rails, so to speak. Um, there's, there's a lot of that. And um, a kind of neo-Adwaitan approach could, would probably, probably has uh, Adi Shankar, you know, rolling over in his, turning over in his samadhi. Um, uh, so there's a, there's a considerable contrast, if you will, in the way we approach Gaudiya Vaishnavism, even though it's modernized and, and, and adapted to the modern world, and the way in which Dvaita Vedanta has been embraced and um, taken up um, around the world. Let's give an example. Shankar is the founder of the Dvaita Vedanta uh, tradition and Sampradaya. He formed four principal moths or monasteries in India, right? And they each have a, a quote-unquote Shankar Acharya. Hmm? And these are the four Acharyas of that Sampradaya. Hmm? And, and to ignore those moths, those Acharyas, Obviously, it's not something that, that, that we do. We take very seriously the founding acharyas and the idea of a succession in, in, and so on and so forth. But as I say, with regard to Dvaita Vedanta, many people in the West take up what they think is Dvaita Vedanta, and they, you, they couldn't even tell you the names of who the current four Shankar acharyas are and um, have no, no concern for being in their lineage and so forth. And, that seems to me to be a very um, kind of um, almost like colonialist, you know, perspective on the whole thing, going into it, you know, the way they want and forget about the tradition and, uh, and, and so forth. It almost seems abusive in, 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 in a sense. And, um, and I don't think that it's, um, uh, it's uh, very fruitful, personally, um, with regard to the example that you give of chanting the Gayatri Mantra. Everybody's telling him to chant the Gayatri Mantra. Um, well, you know, a little history, a little research about the, how the, where the Gayatri Mantra comes from, how it's been disseminated within a particular tradition, whether it be Advaita Vedanta or just Hinduism in general, just to ignore that altogether seems very um, proud, if you will, irreverent and um, overly um, confident in one's own you know, ab abilities, if you will. Uh, when the whole tradition is one, even of Advaita Vedanta, that, that emphasizes, not in the same way that we do, but nonetheless emphasizes humility and necessary, necessary necessity for grace. And, and um, even Krishna Leela, a lot of people, modern people um, interested in Eastern philosophy may identify with Advaita Vedanta because it doesn't appear to have the same 
religious and mytho-historic baggage as they might look at it as we do. You believe in a Krishna and he did this and he did that and so on and so forth. Um, but Adi Shankar believed in all those things. Uh, and, uh, and he relished the leelas of, of, of Krishna. Although he looks at Krishna as being a, what, what he would call a saguna manifestation of Brahman, mm-hmm. which we disagree with that perspective. Nonetheless, he takes that very seriously and that Brahman has appeared in this saguna form. And this is the, Krishna is the most beautiful and charming way in which that saguna Brahman manifests and we have statements from Shankar, like, I just like to retire on the banks of the Jumuna, remember those beautiful pastimes of Krishna. Hmm? Now, he's not thinking of it exactly like we are, but for the Jivan Mukta, for example, um, uh, in Advaita Vedanta, you have like Madhusudan Saraswati, their idea is that the Jivan Mukta will relish the Leelas. Hmm? Jivan Mukta is the penultimate state before entering into the final stage of Mukti. When the Leelas are finished then and Saguna Brahman is, is retired and the Nirguna Brahman is entered into. But the emphasis that they give on the Saguna Brahman and the teachings of Krishna in the Gita and so on and so forth as um, are, I mean, you, you, can, you can read some real traditional serious Advaitans who are examples of the fruit that can be derived from that tradition and think that they think and hear the things they say about Krishna the way they feel about Krishna and and think they may have more devotion for Krishna than you, than you do hmm? even like Madhusudan Saraswati is a good example he was uh, from the time of, near and about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu although they never met uh, Vishwanath refers to him sometimes in his commentaries. Um, Vishwanath Chakwati Thakur. Um, so he was a prominent uh, person and he has a lot of affection for Krishna. Um, so uh, I, I think that that, that approach is, is very kind of um, proud and, uh, and uh, dismissal dismissive, I should say, dismissive of, of a tradition and that has such a history and that one should look at it um, in that way and try to enter into it. So, you know, what is the history then of the Sampradaya, how the mantras are given to whom, when, what. If you want to talk about uh, rules, if he's, you know, if he's burdened by the idea that you got to get it from a guru, I mean, that means like that's the way of the very thinking is the guru's a problem hmm? to have a guide in any field seems to be at a great advantage and nobody in any field of education suggests just get books and read them they suggest that you go to a school actually hmm? and you actually get a teacher in that field professor and you learn from him or her and and and, and, the, and so what to speak of the greatest highest knowledge we're going to dispense with teachers and call it a burden uh, of too many rules to have to get a teacher i mean 
that's the first thing you should, I would think you would look for if you, if you read about Advaita Vedanta. Hmm? Well, where is that coming from? Hmm? You would think, let's go find the source. Let's find where, and where is the person I heard it from? Where are they getting it from? What, what's their source? And so then you find this huge tradition and so forth. And, and you, you know, as I say, with reverence, you, you want to enter into that and find a, a real representative of the tradition from whom to receive the, the mantra, the blessing to chant, uh, uh, and maybe guidance about how to chant it also, and so forth. Um, and, and in all of the schools of all the different sampradayas, this is uh, within mysticism and in Hinduism, this is the overwhelmingly uh, prominent uh, perspective. Obviously, there, there's misrepresentation uh, in, in, in terms of, of the guru, which might make someone a little shy or reticent to, to take shelter and guidance from a guru. But, you know, the very persons that are telling you not to do that are probably misrepresenting the position of guru and, and, and de facto being gurus while calling themselves not gurus or something. You know, there's no gurus. What is his name? Krishnamurti was famous for that. No, the no guru, guru, you know, you don't need a guru and everyone's listening to him, Jai, Murti Ji, and so forth. So, so I think it's, it's very, um, Advaita Vedanta is a, is a great philosophically speaking tradition. We have differences, um, from their perspective on the nature of the Atma, the nature of Brahman, and what the what the sacred texts say about it, but the whole tradition is based on an, an interpretation of the sacred texts as well. So again, this back to our tradition. They're set with Prabhupada put such an emphasis on the texts, the core texts, and, and so forth. And I, I think that it, that um, persons like your friend are often they don't get that kind of emphasis. They don't take it that kind of tradition very seriously and they miss out on on a lot so if you want to be an Advaitin well I think you would do yourself um, a favor to uh, look into the tradition a little bit more go go visit I mean go visit the moths in Puri or you know and the, 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 the existing Sankaracharya who you know bathes only in a river and you know whatever they're pretty pretty learned and austere and well-revered uh, persons within the uh, spiritual, you know, community, esoteric, myst mystic uh, community of, of India today. So those are my thoughts. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Adi Shankar, Kijai. Mahaprabhu, you want to go next? You have to unmute yourself. Yes, thank you. Hare Krishna Maharaj, George Votis, Dandavats. Nice to see you. Um, my question is regarding uh, Sharanagati. And uh, most times when I have seen what are the impediments, they are related to lack of faith that uh, Krishna is the Supreme Personality or that we don't believe that he can shelter us from all the difficulties. But um, what about the cases when the question is not about lack of faith, then lack of trust? What I mean is that we, we know that Krishna is uh, <laughs> a trickster. 
so um, surrendering to him may trigger some unexpected events in our lives to which we'll test this. And uh, at least this is how I um, have come to understand it. So this sometimes brings certain fear of what will happen if I actually do. Not that I um, have any doubts of his capacity to take the control and do whatever is proper, but uh, mm. actually on what will follow. And maybe this comes from over-attachment to the material. I don't know, but if you could uh, say something on this. Interesting, interesting perspective. Well, one thing, uh, first of all, to say about uh, Krishna and, and faith that Krishna is the supreme Godhead and so forth, there are only a few candidates out there hmm, that are being put forward in the world and have been for centuries as to who is God, what is the nature of God, and, and so forth. Obviously, if you're atheistic perspective and you have a theistic perspective, but within the theistic uh, circles, there are a few candidates. And the main candidates, um, you know, you could say they're Buddha, but then again, Buddhists don't acknowledge that Buddha is God for the most part. Hmm? Uh, and that's a, that's a kind of a non-theistic spiritual tradition. You, you have, you know, your Advaita tradition, which we just talked about, that does say that Krishna is the supreme manifestation of Saguna Brahman. Hmm? And then ultimately there's the Nirguna Brahman. That, that's their perspective. But even within the different manifestations of God in the world that we might know about, they acknowledge that Krishna is the supreme manifestation of the Saguna Brahman. And then, of course, you've got... Um, you know, the idea in other Vaishnava schools that there's Krishna, but then there's Narayan and Krishna is, is an avatar of Narayan and Narayan is the supreme God and so on and so forth. And, and I think that Gaudiya Vaishnavism deals with those perspectives pretty well and makes a compelling case from an, from an aesthetic point of view that, um, uh, that Krishna has a greater you know, capacity to reciprocate in love and on that basis, he's supreme. And that's pretty hard to argue against. Hmm? Um, you can't get intimate with, with Narayan in the way that you can with, with, with Krishna, but you could also serve Krishna with reverence. So there's more there. So I'm just going through some different examples. And then of course, there's the, there's the Christian tradition. And then now we're moving from East, you know, to West. And one of the big shifts here is that, well, let's take, you know, Christianity or the Abrahamic religions, uh, but, um, who are thought to accept the same God, but, but, don't, but, but disagree on the savior. So Christianity's got Christ and, and Islam's got um, uh, Muhammad, I guess, and the Jewish tradition is still waiting for him to come, you know? <laughs> uh, so the, so um, that tradition, is, there's a huge difference here in their perspective and the Eastern perspective in broadest, broadest terms, and, and that difference I'm referring to is the Christian tradition, the Abrahamic tradition, takes the world to be real. We take it to be illusory. That's a huge difference. Hmm? So let's, like I said, for example, Christianity, it really places a lot of emphasis on the world being real in all respects and God coming into the real world and doing something that's miraculous, arising from the dead. 
Mm-hmm. And this is his, you know, claim claim to fame and uh, other, you know, beautiful things that that, that, that uh, Jesus of Nazareth is said to have done and so forth. Um, but that's the big um, uh, miracle. And the, the idea that this is a historical event, it actually happened historically. So there's an emphasis on historicity and so forth. You know, we don't have the same emphasis on, on, on history. When we look at a world that's here today and gone tomorrow, and it's, 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 it's not what it appears to be. Um, we think, you know, trees don't, and, and grass doesn't talk, but they talk to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, told them to be humble and tolerant. It's a question of perspective. Hmm? Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I think there's a good case to be made for, for you know, how real the world of our perception is. We're humans, we have a collective perception that we uh, tend to agree on, that there's a sun, there's a moon, that you could go to the moon now, uh, and so forth. But for all you know, you're going to, you're going to a place that's a, that's a perspective that you have as humans that's different from you know, the animal's perspective on the moon or the insect's perspective, whatever. So it's a very much more of an emphasis on you know, idealism, in more, more in that direction, not that we deny the world entirely. Hmm? Um, and when you look at the world like that, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities. And then the developed nature, uh, uh, discourse on the nature of transcendence and so forth is, is considerable compared to Christianity. So there's a good case to be made objectively amongst the very few candidates that are out there for Krishna being the supreme personality of God. And so we should have faith that he is if we, if we listen to, to, the, to the sacred texts and good reasoning about their implications and so forth. But, but so, and you don't seem to have a problem with that per se, but then again, one of the things that we hear about Krishna is that, well, he's a, like you said, he's a trickster. So I may have a problem not with faith, but with, with trust. But one thing about that you can trust in Krishna hmm, is that he, he may lie, right? He, he encouraged Arjun to lie in the Kurukshetra war and to say that, um, what was it? Um, who was the it? elephant? Abhimanu. Ash, Ash, Ashvatam has died. Ashvatam, Ashvatam has died, you know. Uh, it was kind of a white lie because I guess maybe the elephant named Ashvatam had died. And, you know, so, but Yudhisthira was very, very truthful. So, can you trust Krishna? That's, that's the question. But, although he's like that, it's true. The overriding fact about Krishna is that, that he is also referred to as a chucha, which means infallible, which means with re- in relation to devotees, he can be trusted. <laughs> in other words, what he says about himself, what he says he will do when speaking to devotees, he cannot lie to them. He cannot. He will not cheat his devotees. He may cheat other people, in, and that with an, in, a, in an effort perhaps to help them appreciate his devotees, and as may be the case, hmm, to accomplish something. But everything that he's accomplishing 
is ultimately really for his devotees. So he can be trusted hmm, in terms of what he says for his devotees. When he says, you serve me, surrender to me, you'll come to me. It may be a circuitous you know, route or a roundabout way that we that we, we get there, but that's more the problems that, that if you will, he's dealing with that are in us, obstacles and different ways to get around them that, that he may say, surrender to me here, I'm over here. And then he may say, now, now I'm over here. Hmm? Well, you, 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 you know, you, you, you said, come to me and, and you're over here. How can I, and now you say you're not there anymore. You're over here. How can I trust you? Well, he's still talking. <laughs> he's still, he's, 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 he's leading the way. He, 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 he's showing the way. So the point is anyway, that is he can be, he can be his, Devotees can count on Krishna for his word. He's good for his word. He will never, ever let his devotees down. He's attached to his devotees. His whole life is derived from his interaction with his devotees. They're everything to him. And what they say, great devotees, can do, uh, if they go to somebody and give bhakti to somebody, then he has to go there and so forth. Hmm. Um, but yes, you know, our life as a sadhaka is quite a, a courageous course uh, to take. Um, if you understand what's involved, then that, 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 that should be obvious. And there may be many twists and turns um, in the road, so to speak. But uh, I think as you get grounded in it, that becomes part of the, it becomes, you know, it's not a boring ride. <laughs> It's uh, there's there's a turn ahead, and you're not sure what's exactly around the corner. But other than the broad sense that that, that Krishna's there, hmm? so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be too concerned. I would I would um, I would trust. Let's talk about love. I would trust that love, from my own immaterial experience, even is. Like you don't know which way it's it's going to turn. There's a statement in Ujjwal Nimani of Rupa Goswami that says, uh, "What does he say? He says um, he says he compares love to a snake. So a snake moves like this to go forward, right? Not like this. Hmm? So um, eva gatiya premna swabhava kuti labhavet." Uh, so that love moves in crooked in a crooked way. So really, this is speaking about the the love quarrels of Radha and Krishna. We call man or you know kind of a, uh, a a jealous love where she's angry at Krishna, doesn't want to see him, and and then and then sometimes for good reason, and sometimes for no reason at all, it it comes hmm? and. Uh, uh, and it causes a separation. It's a type of separation, man. And then that, then that bridges, that that gap is bridged. And again, pranai. Again, they're together. Hmm? It arises out of pranai, and then, it, then it, then it enters back into pranai. Um, but that's the nature of love. Hmm? So, love is full of like surprises, if you will. Um, it's it's not like just black and white, except in a larger sense. 
Therefore, we should see, we should try not to, not enter into the lover's quarrels, take one side or the other, because you're going to end up being loser, two against one, <laughs> is what's going to happen. Uh, uh, to see it as part of the uh, phenomenon. So, um, so there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of gray, so to speak, going forward. And, and I think that, the, interestingly enough, love has doubts. There's a surety within it, but uh, it, it leaves questions. That, that, but that constitutes some excitement. The nature of praying is that it's full, but it's always expanding. So what will happen next? Hmm? If you take that out of it, well then go to Nirvishesh Brahman and sit and it's all the same. Hmm? So um, I think that you can trust that it will be an exciting course. Uh, and um, and, and it, it Krishna takes care of his devotees. Now, you know, that's a broad statement too. And I think you refer to that uh, briefly as well. Um, will I trust that he'll take care of me in this world? You know, not necessarily. Um, in, in, it depends on the measure of your devotion, the extent to which he's going to be involved in your life. But you can trust that as much as you give yourself to him, many times over, you're going to in, become, he's going to feel indebted uh, to you and attached to you and ultimately, you know, bring you um, to the desired uh, goal of uh, Seva in, in his Leela. Um, and we should also have an overriding trust that there are many things that I've done that would have played out differently in this life had Krishna not been in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so things happen to me that are not the full measure of what my karma would have been. Mm -hmm. um, we should have that, that, that kind of overriding uh, uh, trust. Um, but yeah, there may be, you know, difficult uh, times that we have to pass through mentally and, and physically and so on and so forth. And there are so many examples of that in the lives of great, great devotees. Uh, the lives of the Pandavas are often cited as an example. I mean, you know, you think they're devotees of Krishna, they have intimate relationship with him and their house, somebody turns, you know, burns their house down hmm? and they get exiled, right? And, and so forth. And they had to go take part in the war, although they're peaceful. Uh, by, by nature and so forth. So why is this happening if they're Krishna's devotees? So there's a bigger picture. Hmm? Um, and uh, that example is often you know, cited for us to take uh, inspiration from when things happen in our life. Can we trust that if I take the Krishna consciousness, I'll never, I'll never have to worry about anything. I'll never get sick again or anything. You know, no, that's not the teaching. <laughs> But you can trust that Krishna will. Krishna is Baba Grahi Janardana. He will feel your feelings for him. And that will endear you to him and his devotees. And there's no better person worthy of endearing yourself to than him. And we just talked about that. He's the best candidate out there. So those are my thoughts. That help? Yes, thank you very much. Okay. What else? Okay, um, Panchatatva.
have to unmute yourself. Haribo. Good morning, Marash. Good morning. Uh, I was wondering if you would like to comment regarding the sort of state of the world uh, from a historical Vaishnav point of view. It seems, you know, devotees are discussing, you know, exalted topics in philosophy and engage in sadhana, etc., while the world is completely melting, literally melting before our eyes politically and you know socially yeah socially you know etc and you know i i was thinking back to Srila Prabhupada, and, and i was wondering also if Srila bhakti manod thakur and Srila bhakti siddhanta had how they dealt with situations like this i mean the british were in india etc and uh, just seems that uh, you know things are really out of control now and no one's really commenting about uh, animal slaughter sort of being the the essence of what's creating the climate debacle. And uh, I was sitting one time with Srila Prabhupada, one of the very few times I was sitting you know, in his personal association, and he mentioned that uh, he had one request about all of his disciples, and that was to somehow convince your countrymen to stop this mother killing civilization. And so Srila Prabhupada was commenting like that. And he also commented, I think, on abortion, you know, in classes. And I'm just wondering what your vantage point is on that and, and if there's any position for 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 that or we just, you know, uh-huh. stick stick to topics of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, how how we deal with that, how we live in the world. Right. Well, I think uh, it's uh, the times are uh, disconcerting in, in, in many respects. Depends who you talk to. Though some people think it's great in, in the United States, some people think uh, Donald Trump is the um, is a godsend, um, mm. um, and he's in charge. Um, <clears throat> and and then there are those who think that uh, that's the problem that he's in charge and so forth. And, I would agree with them. Um, uh, yeah, there's people out there that actually point to a verse in the Bible that says, you know, here's the yeah. verse for Donald yeah. Trump, the second coming so, or something. So anyway, my point is it depends who you yeah. talk to, whether you think the times are good or bad. So <laughs> some people think they're good because they have that particular particular political mm-hmm. perspective, and some people don't. And then there's the United States, which influences the whole world to a large extent. They're having <clears throat> having its election and we'll see what happens. Um, but um, but uh, to look back, I mean, you know, you, you cite Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta uh, in British occupation of, of India and so forth. Prabhupada's early uh, preaching in his Back to Godhead magazine is just, uh, um, just post-World War II, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he's re- referencing, the, you know, sometimes the problem that's what the title back to God it comes from. We have to get back to God. We've gotten so far away from God uh, that, you know, the world was at whole world was at war. So you can imagine how disconcerting the times were then when the whole, for example, the United States, the country you live in, all the industry was all, you know, converted to, to, to fuel the military industrial complex for fighting in World War II against the German tanks and 
you know, their, 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 their arsenal and, and so forth. And it went on for, for years and years. And uh, so many men, it was mostly men, I think at that time, I don't think women were serving in the military, were going out and, you know, many of them weren't coming back and so forth. So it was a pretty disconcerting uh, time. And, um, and then there was a civil war, um, you know, um, and so forth. So there have been, you know, plenty of times that uh, have been as or more disconcerting than the times we live in. I don't think that it's unprecedented. And it's the nature, from a transcendentalist perspective, it's the nature of the world that's going to flare up sometimes and look really bad and sometimes look better. Therefore, you have these descriptions in the Bhagavatam of the, of the influence of sattva against Rajas and Thomas played out as the battles between the gods and the asuras, the devas and the asuras. And sometimes the devas get the upper hand and Hiranyakasipu takes, you know, has great powers and so forth. And then, then there's a, you know, a corrective and, and the devas have the, the, the advantage. And inside all of this play within the gunas, there's a, there's a transcendental um, perspective. And, you know, I mean, obviously one of the lessons is this is just the nature of the world. Therefore, you should be a transcendentalist because there's no solution to the problem. The political arena is a, is a realm of rajas and material improvement, power and um, security and the struggle for that and so forth. And um, there's a place for it. But, 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 you know, you can really practice Krishna consciousness within it for the most part. And interestingly enough, Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his time hmm, was one person and one of the very few that I'm aware of whose um, perspective was not national. In other words, the Hindus, whether it be Aurobindo Ghosh, uh, you know, or Ramohan Roy, or the Brahma Samaj, and this one and that one, uh, Tagore, Rindanath Tagore, the, the, these people, they were all nationalists. Mm-hmm. Um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was not a nationalist. He thought, well, you know, the British are here. I can still do my bhakti. It wasn't a problem for him. They let me do my bhakti and they brought some good things too. <laughs> you know, he, he looked at it like that. And some people thought it was the, you know, the worst thing in the world and had to be overcome and, 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 and you know, you know, you can look back now and see the problems with the colonialism and, and, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, a lot of this is, is, is really the noise of the modes of nature. Now, how much we're going to tune into it or turn out to it uh, from it depends on uh, the measure of our, uh, you know, preoccupation with, um, with the transcendentalist perspective in our, in our practice and so forth, or the extent to which our practice may be affected uh, um, um, uh, negatively by any political, social, or worldly situation and circumstance. We can't ignore it uh, for the most part altogether. And if you're going to be a preacher, so to speak, and a disseminator of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, well, you have to take it into consideration a little bit more, perhaps have some comments on it, and, and, and at some point even get involved in it. It's possible. That's possible. Um, so, uh, you know, 
let's say, for example, um, um, you know, there, there was there was a time when Prabhupada wanted his own political party, you know, and uh, you know, forget what he was wanted to call it, and God we trust or something like that, and he had some idea like like that, um, and he encouraged the devotees. But then he found, in his own estimation, that their involvement in that was taking away from their their practice and it was becoming a distraction. He was more concerned with them developing affinity for bhakti and and uh, and solving the problem for themselves individually, you know, comprehensively, than trying to save the whole world, so to speak, you know, shoot the rhinoceros as, as he, I think he must have given as an, as an example, which is difficult to do. Um, so, um, again, um, the extent to which we're going to be tuning into the world is on our preoccupation or the extent with, with bhakti or the extent to which it's impacting our capacity to engage in bhakti. There could be, uh, for example, the United States has, you know, certain freedoms and so forth, freedom of religion, and, and, and it has a, it has a political system that's, that's the envy of a lot of, a lot of countries, and it has been a country of, of laws where people can be held accountable and, and, and so forth to a large extent compared to, you know, banana republics and a dictator takes over type of a situation. So um, when that, you know, is threatened, as it is to some extent by the present administration, um, um, it might become a concern then. Um, interestingly, for devotees, there's a lot of devotees that that uh, support the the idea that Trump's some type of an avatar, you know, without saying that, which is like uh, mind-boggling to me because his base of support is a really Christian fundamentalists, and I, and they don't look too fondly upon Hare Krishnas. <laughs> To be honest with you, they're not ecumenical in their in their perspective, um, and um, so for him to rule, if you will, in, in a way that caters to their sensibilities, would not be an environment that would be very favorable for Krishna consciousness. Or showing up, you know, in your dhoti somewhere wearing tilak. Uh, <laughs> It's it's a xenophobic, really you know, racist kind of a, a perspective that, that they have, um, and uh, and uneducated. Uh, some ed then there are educated people that support him also, who have probably a very vacuous political perspective. That's that that the, the meter of which is how it's affecting me economically. If it affects me economically, good. What if other people are screwed? Doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going to vote for this guy. I mean, that a lot of people are educated, but that's their whole, you know, way of looking at it. So, you know, it's a it's a huge subject, obviously, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I would say there's the the, the 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 situation in the United States has made me more aware of the political climate than I have ever in my whole life as a devotee. And, you know, I was there, uh, well, I think I'd 
I joined after the Kennedys were assassinated and Martin Luther King. These were pretty, the Vietnam War was, it was pretty, pretty uh, awkward uh, time um, a, a, as well. But um, the way this system is, it, it does like, you know, potentially threaten a, uh, to compromise uh, an, an environment that is, uh, is conducive. I mean, even a, even a little bit of a leftist socialist perspective is, is good for a monastic, you know, <laughs> uh, to be honest, you know, there, this is, there's some sympathy, there's some food stamps for them or something, you know. <laughs> In India, if you're a sadhu, you can get ketri, you know, you go and you get, there's free meals, you know, <laughs> so, so, you know, a little bit of that. I mean, you have your socialist perspective, you have your domestic, have your, your capitalist perspective, and there are problems with each of them, you know? That's the beta-beta, you know, of Gaudi Vaishnavism. It's capitalist and uh, socialist at the same time. Uh, the socialism is, is, the capitalism is, is well, um, you know, you're an individual. Hmm? And the socialism is, is you lose your individuality, right? <laughs> you gotta do what the group does. Um, but um, but in the individuality and the struggle for that, then there's the fighting and there's the, the competition that's not there in socialism. And, and so it's more aggressive. So, you know, there's a good and bad to both. So, so I mean, Prabhupada likened Gaudi Vaishnavism in the spiritual world to spiritual communism. So it's, uh, it's uh, uh, more socialistic but not in a sense but not at the cost of one's individuality so you're an individual but at the same time the nature of the of the, of the, of the system is that you're provided for and you don't have to you don't have to fight other people in, in the competition in Gaudiya Vaishnavism who will please I'll touch him first no I'll touch him first <laughs> it's the coward boys run after him and whoever touches him first whoever pleases him most you know is wins in everybody's eyes Oh, he pleased Krishna more. Jai, you know, the goal is to please Krishna. So um, these are interesting and, you know, charming ideas. Uh, but I mean, this, the, the environment that you speak about today, external environment, world environment, is very inflamed and so forth. There's not a lot of ear, you know, for, for Krishna consciousness. And evidence of that is that many, many devotees are more concerned about that than they are about their, their practice. And they're up on a Facebook, you know, promoting some, conspiracy theory or something, uh, or, uh, or on the other end of the spectrum, they're, you know, just going off about, uh, about uh, the problems with the present uh, shift towards uh, nationalism and fascism that's happening in, not in the United States, but in other parts of, of the world. Hmm? And so, uh, <laughs> um, it's 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 uh, it's considerable. Now, as far as solutions to all of that, you know, I, I really just don't I, I I just don't look at it like if we could just get everybody to stop eating meat, it would be over. I mean, it, you know, I guess it would be, but you're not. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to get my next door neighbor to stop eating meat. You know, to be honest with you, and he's a meditator. <laughs> so, uh, what to speak of? You know, the whole the whole you know, there have been considerable strides that have been made in that realm by other persons who have made that their entire focus, um, whether 
uh, you know, your animal rights perspective and that kind of a thing. Um, they've made strides and there's now, you know, vegetable hamburgers that, you know, you could get, you know, that, that, uh, that are satisfying to meat eaters and their, and their stocks and those companies are going up and, you know, there've been a lot of strides that, a lot of positive that's, that have been made in that direction comparatively. When I was young, you know, yogurt was as weird as yoga, you know, yogurt was some Bulgarian, you know, crazy thing, you know, and now it's, you know, it's, it's everywhere, you know, so um, all different flavors, 108 different flavors. So um, vegetarianism has, has increased, but the climate is what it is today, as bad as it is. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if, yeah, if you could stop all that, I mean, and that's a, a good thing to, to emphasize and so forth, but, but, um, but there are other so many other factors at play. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's difficult to, for me to think that, um, that, um, that in itself would, would be a solution. I mean, it would be if you could stop it all, but, but then you have to fight with the animal rights people, you know, because, that, because that's the beautiful thing about Gaudiya Vaishnavism in one sense. It's so environmentally, attuned. If you look, read the works of the Goswamis, they know every flower, every leaf, every type of tree, stone. Uh, they're really living in the natural environment and they're totally like acclimated to it, learning from it, drawing examples from it um, to inspire their, their practice, explaining their experiences through the workings of nature and how nature ex expresses itself, um, you know, through 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 such employing such uh, metaphors like no other religion, no other religion, and at the same time that it's like that, it it's not in a fanatical way that displaces the speciality of of humanity. Hmm? In other words, you go you the animal rights environmentalist direction. And he, there, there is no hierarchy anymore. Hmm? They're, they're trying to do away with the hierarchy of, of humanity, which you know gets out of hand. But Gaudi Vaishnavism keeps the hierarchy of humanity and makes it kind at the same time. So it's balanced. It's not like out of balance, like you shouldn't drink milk, you know. Even if you've got cows in your own place, where they're taking care of, because they're supposed to be out there fending for themselves, you know, where the bob, where the mountain lions can eat them, you know. No, we don't. We don't think like we think that there is this, 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 this um, common ground, so to speak, this meeting between humanity and nature that manifests as domestic animals agriculture hmm? that's humans interacting with the plant world seed world the animal world um, for its benefit no doubt but if it's done right as stewards for the whole of the environment for the betterment of the of the seed world the plant world and um, for the animal world some of whom can be protected by humans from predators 
and provide for humans. I mean, for to me to take our cows and just release them here, you know, or, you know, there's lots of places in Mendocino, just take them, dump them off in a field somewhere, you know, where we live, a lot of grass and stuff like that. Still, they defend for themselves. If they get sick, there's no one there to, you know, we take care of them. We give them medication and, and so on and so forth. So your, 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 your animal rights movement, you know, questions humans, you know, right to be, you know, for there to be such a thing as a domestic animal, enslaved, you know, it's like slavery, someone tried to tell me once. Um, you come and see our cows and think of the, think if they're, 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 they're slaves here, you know. So what I'm saying is that, that, that Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you just kind of puts the whole, for me, puts the whole thing together so nicely without one extreme taking over from another and bringing it out of balance. It's a very nice package. And it is a solution to all the problems. That's, that's, that's certainly my, my, my conviction. Uh, but, um, you know, there are times, just like we were speaking early and Mahapu was at, or uh, Tadas was asking, and I, and I replied about, you gotta find a teachable moment and so forth. Well, right now is not the most, most teachable time in, 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 in some respects. People are really inflamed, you know, by the, by the, by the condition of, of Rajas in the world. Um, but, you know, as you see, I'm, I'm fairly informed by it. And, and I, I have some concern. I'm not, I'm not, I would not want to see uh, these nationalist, fascist type movements uh, take, uh, um, get the up, upper hand. Um, there's not, not that everything, there's not, not that I believe in everything that, uh, that the liberal uh, perspective um, promotes either, obviously, but uh, anyway, so those are some thoughts. <laughs> well, I'll know? write you in on our ballots. Okay, you can write me in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, nice to talk with you all. I hope to be with you again next week. Yes, thank you so right. much. Wonderful answers to good questions. Jai. Thank you, Jai. Jai.